Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. My guest today has only been racing for a handful of years and yet has carved out such a resounding space within motorsport that I've been looking forward to speaking to her ever since I started this podcast. She's competed in British and UAE F4 as well as GT Endurance Racing and she finished second in this year International GT Open Pro AM Championship. She drove a Formula One car at the inaugural Saudi Arabian Grand Prix and has created her own GT team to ensure that motorsport hopefuls from her own country had a better chance to enter the racing industry. My guest is by all accounts a powerhouse. She is Saudi Arabia's best known female racing driver. My guest today is Rima Jafali. Wow. Yeah, you, you got everything right except for one thing and some people think that I have driven one F1 car, I haven't. Um, no way, but I'd I'm like so to sorry. one day. No, no, it's okay. I, I'll still put it out there. I'll try and manifest it, but um, maybe one Absol- day. Absolutely. I had it written down that you drove the Williams car in 2021. It didn't happen? No, no, that was the plan. Um, but maybe maybe I will this year. I don't know. Um, but that's still fingers crossed that I do. Oh, well, I'll have everything crossed for that as well, because I think it's a brilliant experience that you fully deserve. It would make such a show as well. It would be really fun. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me start the podcast officially by asking the question that I always ask everybody, which is, tell me, Rima, when and where did your racing life actually begin? My racing life began, I mean, I could take you way back to when I was a little girl um, throwing the dolls away and, and looking for the cars um, or just trying to sit there and understand as much as I can from the, you know, the backseat of the car. There was always that itching passion I had for, for cars and, and understanding the most that I can. But motorsport was much later in life. I grew up in Saudi, um, in Jeddah, where I am today here speaking to you. And I moved to the States for college, and that's kind of when the world of sport in general opened up to me and just familiarizing myself with what's available, what's out there. And one that really caught my eye was motorsport because I had this passion for cars, or still do, and it united my passion for cars and sports. I was like, wait, how did I not know about this before? Why did I never watch a race? And I didn't know anything about Formula One, about GT racing, nothing like that. So everything was like overwhelming. I had to teach myself 
what it meant, you know, to go racing. And then like a year in, um, just behind the TV, really, that's how it started. I watched the 24 hours of Le Mans. And when I looked at, you know, the roster of drivers, you know, their different categories, pros, pro-ams, ams, I'm like, what does this all mean? So again, doing some research, realized that there are men that were much older than I was, started much also, like maybe even later than I started, and they were up there competing and on the podium. And that's when I was like, wait, wait, this is not just about being a professional from a, you know, a young kid working their way up to F1. Maybe that is what young kids dream about and, and what they, they aspire. But I have this passion and I didn't think that this was even possible. So it was just literally the knowledge and, and knowing that it's not too late to learn how to race. And that was literally the, the basis of it. It was not, I want to be a professional racing driver. It was, I can go racing and I can actually potentially be competitive because I'm a competitive person. So I wouldn't have done it and said, hey, I'm going to do it just for fun. Like, I wanted to learn about it and and uh, and happen to be t right place right time and um yeah here I am today but it was basically it was just basically a knowledge and and understanding that there is a possibility out there to to get behind a car and how long ago was that mm, probably 2011 uh, or 12 so maybe 2012 so I was you know um in college uh international affairs student trying to earn my you know, my stripes, whether it was in class or finding a job after college and all of these things, I guess, priorities came before racing. But in the itching and, and like the, the fire in me was I want to get my racing license. Like ever since I discovered that it's a possibility to go racing or not a possibility that there's an option. And it was the top of my bucket list for as long as I could remember to the extent that my mom came to me one day and she was like, when are you going to get your racing license? I'm like, don't, don't push me. I'm, I'll do it when I can, you know, I'll do it when it's the right time. But at the time I was like working and trying to make, you know, something of myself in, in that life. So I'm glad, I mean, the support I have had from her, I'm sure we'll touch on, but that's, um, that just kind of showed me that it's something that I put out there and I really wanted, but it was intimidating. It was a big unknown. It was scary. Uh, all of these things just because it meant so much to me. You know, thankfully, I guess when the time was right and when I was ready, I took on the challenge and again, it was a basic goal. Let's just learn to get my racing license. And then it was, okay, let's go on the track. And then it was, let me learn how to race on the track. So it wasn't a um, big dream from the beginning saying this is what I didn't know what I could dream. It was, it was literally like one step at a time, one door at a time. And um, it's been a hell of a journey. And uh, yeah, I still get goosebumps thinking about just my first race in a car. It's so odd because if you take away the driving element, just entering motorsport, I'm relating to what you're saying so hard. I was the same age as you when I discovered Formula One. And almost straight away, it was, this isn't something I want to enjoy on a Sunday afternoon. This is something I want to be part of. It literally just made sense to me. It was like, hang on a second, I'm studying. I was studying international business at the time and I was specializing in communication. And it was like, I could qualify and do the job that I want to do, but I don't have to be in an office. I can be within the domain of sport, within the domain of motorsport, which again, goosebumps massively. And I get to work outside in every country going. It was literally like, wow, this is the journey that I need to be on. And I knew no one, no one in motorsport at the time. And I feel like you basically found yourself in the same place. 
Exactly. And, and I think in general, you try to um, do the safer thing, right? Especially at the age of like, I don't know, 18. Um, you, you won't take risk with, or at the time, at least I personally didn't want to take too much risk with my career. I wanted to prove that I was, you know, worthy to be in this, like, you know, working environment that I could, you know, look after myself. All of these things were things, I guess, that I, you know, pressure or expectation I put on myself. And then when I did do it and I felt like, okay, this is happening, I'm doing it, I'm, let's say, an added value to the team, there was still something missing. There was still something I wasn't completely happy. And um, I was fortunate to be in a position to realize that I wasn't completely happy because I wasn't, you know, um, ran the clock, you know, let's say on the hamster wheel. I came back to Saudi after being away for eight years or so and um, had more, let's say, liberty with my time. And I was like, okay, what can I do in my spare time? And this is when racing came back into the picture. And I'm like, okay, let's let's take this uh, a little bit more seriously and let's see how I can take the steps and, and make something of it. And it's been the first, and I said this like really early on, like one of the most difficult things continued to be, maybe is still the most difficult thing was starting because it was just a blank canvas. It was, you were a bit ahead of a headless chicken. You wanted to do it right. Um, and there's a lot of pressure that, you know, this, you don't want to be bad. And, you know, this is, there's so much there. And, and in the end, just, I guess, trusting and being super happy in the environment and being okay with making mistakes. Now, I, I don't even, all those things I thought about, you know, if it was like now, wow, I want to say eight years ago, there, there are things that made me who I am, made me stronger, made me, uh, better on and off track, but it is that scary sensation was something now I feel like every time I feel it, I'm like, okay, not scary, but let's say apprehensive. I'm like, okay, it's, that's, that's where we go. We take that route. We don't shy away from it. So I've learned my lesson there. I'm no longer, um, you know, not going to knock on the door or try something new. Did you allow for possibility that you might not be good at it? not be good at driving racing yeah how did, yeah. That, how did you cope with that so i mean again the route i decided to take was very unconventional um i had no karting background and i went in and i was like okay i need to meet people i need to ask questions i need to know how i can learn this the best way i can and i spoke to different people some people most people you know in motorsport it's quite a small world so you get you know connected and you for advice and from this coach the next coach and i went to this um well well-known coach and, and he's like oh come come around with me in the car and and i'll assess let's say your ability and and i'll give you an honest answer and that's basically was january of 2019 so i've only been racing for like less than four months and so I did that. I got in the car with him. It was a Vauxhall Astra. And, and I went around probably too eager to impress. And and he just kind of like was like, slow down. Let's just get to the basics and, and drive the way you're feeling. And then after a few laps, he's like, listen, you definitely have the feeling. You, you just don't have the experience. So if you have that feeling, that's more than a lot of people don't have. So something that you're going to work on and time will will help you build this let's say, uh, race, race, race craft. And, but when it comes to instincts, you have them. So that was for me, a very big assurance that I have something. And what I'm feeling is not 
um, you know, it's not a mistake or it's not just because I, I am so passionate about it. Um, but one of the things he also said, he's like, it's not going to be easy. You can take the GT route and earn your stripes that way and learn to a wheel to be racing in a, let's say what they call tin tops or closed, uh, you know, road cars. Or, um, if you're willing to speed track this process, I recommend you go into the rawest form, which if it's not karting, it's formula four. Um, and Formula Four, yeah, it's, it's a, it looks like a Formula One car, but it's small. It's basically, you're putting the power to the wheel, you're putting power to the brakes. So it's actually, it takes some strength to drive the car. So we organized a test. And, um, again, I didn't think I would be in that car or in that scenario. And I loved it. Uh, that was, I was clear as day. As soon as I kind of took my helmet off, I was smiling cheek to cheek and probably on a high for days. But I also realized that I, there's a long way for me to go, that I'm going to have to learn as I go and make mistakes as I go. And it was clear, like on the second day, I was on the grass and I'm like, oh God, this is definitely not going to be easy, but I am buzzing. So, um, if that's still how it is and still how I'm feeling, then I continue to do this and, and I have to be okay with making mistakes. I have to be okay with not being quick. Um, and, and that was the case really. I was in the beginning, how I put it is, you know, I was racing myself and then I was facing the pack and then eventually I was with the pack and then I started racing them. But that whole, let's say year or year and a half of essentially just trying to make it enough that I'm within a second and a half of them or, you know, getting to the end of the race, like that wasn't easy at all. And it was, you, you never want to come and you would give yourself, um, let's say a pat on the shoulders, say, because you're last, here you go. Good job. You know, you can't really say that, but I could to myself because I realized that my pace was getting better. I was getting faster. I had goals that I set for myself and sometimes I did come last or I, I came just before the last or I, was not so far from the rest of the pack. Like those are my winny win, my mini wins. And I took it that way throughout my, you know, F4 career. And I wouldn't say the results show that I was capable uh, to race on, let's say in the front of the field, but the learning and, and, um, the field and everything I got in those two years, I don't think I would have been able to, to connect to, let's say the car the way I do today if I didn't do that, because it was, it was, let's say, schooling at its, you know, the most difficult. The, the guys that I was racing, or the boys actually, were 10 years younger than me. I was, you know, I think it was 26, so maybe 10, 11 years younger than me, and they were wild. And I just had to keep, you know, calm. And, and that's sometimes how I made, you know, I got to the top 10. I just kept calm, made sure I made less mistakes than them. And I did manage to, you know, get into the top 10 a few times. And it was just because I think I had a bit more maturity than them. And then eventually that gives you confidence. You're like, okay, I'm getting somewhere. So yeah, there was a lot of learning, but, and a lot of mistakes and, and crashes as well, but they've made me um, a, a well-rounded driver. Yeah, you can see that very much. It's that thing where actually sometimes starting a little bit older brings a hell of a lot of a difference in terms of how you approach things and how you can learn from them and carry on rather than being a child in a difficult environment. So yeah, I can definitely appreciate that you um, had a different experience, but that you brought that experience to what you were doing mm -hmm. and uh, smashed it. Um, I want to ask you this because 
one is my favorite question to ask um the people i speak to but also because of how what you've just described do you feel like you chose motorsport or motorsport chose you good question i think i think motorsport chose me and i just didn't realize it i think in the end i pushed it away to for so long and then i felt like okay i made the decision to go into it but in the heart of hearts, um, when I got in the car and when I realized this is the happiest I've ever been, that is, that's why it chose me because I don't think I've ever felt this happy doing something. Um, so yeah, I'd say it chose me. Do you feel like when you stepped into whichever first car you drove, did it feel like home? It felt like home. It felt like a whole new world. It felt exciting. It felt uncomfortable. It felt everything that you know, all the heightened sensations that you feel like when you want to do something good or something is 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 new, but at the same time um, challenging. So at the time being at that age in the mid in your mid twenties, you're not necessarily you don't think you're going to feel that again. You don't think that you're going to have that second stab of unconditional just pure happiness and that for me and was was such a like a realization I'm like oh my god this is if this is if this is just a weekend thing if I could just get in a car for a weekend and come back I'll be the happiest person alive so um yeah I, I'm so glad I found that and I'm so glad I gave myself a chance because it would be a shame if I didn't kind of give it a go and continued my route in the finance world Oh, I've got the biggest smile on my face. It makes me so happy. And again, I'm relating to this. I changed things drastically this year. I used to work for Alpine F1 team. Absolutely loved it. Had the best time, best experience and decided to leave earlier this year and set up on my own. And like, let me tell you, I'm, I'm in my 40s now. And to be able to still have that feeling of doing something completely new and uncomfortable and then actually through it, ending up falling in love with motorsport all over again, because that's literally what I've done this year. Yeah, long may it continue. Yeah. Let's keep doing that because it's brilliant, isn't it? I'm I'm really happy to hear that, and it's I think it takes it takes a lot of courage to do that as well to say, hey, I'm really happy. I like what I'm doing, but I want more. Sometimes it's it's something completely different for some people, but I mean, in motorsport for me, the last three four years that I've been in it, it's I could just been okay where I was, but I kept finding more opportunity to grow and to test myself. And every time I took that step, I can't say that it was easy at all, but it, in the end of the day, I grew, I'm happier. I've learned so much about myself in so many different ways. And if I just kind of stayed, stayed put and did what was comfortable, um, I definitely don't think I would be this excited about motorsport today. Let's actually fast track to today um, because I keep hearing about you. I keep being told about you. There's a lot of people that are excited. And obviously knowing I was going to speak to you today, I made sure that I just went online and tried to find as much information, some of it wrong, some of it right. Not that there should be any one thing that defines you, but the sort of themes that kept coming back were you're a driver, m m most definitely a bloody good driver. Um, you're I think you've been put in a position, whether you wanted to or not, that's up for discussion and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, but you've been presented as an ambassador for your sport and your country, purely by default that Saudi Arabia is so new to motorsport on the world platform at least. Um, and obviously by default of you being female, there's even more talk about that as well. And you're now a team owner as well as of this year. 
So that's three pretty big roles that have been put on your shoulders, whether you've chosen to or not. How do you live with all that? How is that for you? Well, I, I love interviews and, and podcasts because they make you think, right? And you kind of putting these concise um, or let's say things that stood out to you makes me realize like, yes, I am all those things. And fair enough. Also, how much of that am I taking in or how much of, of that do I really feel like is me? Um, for sure, the driver um, is something that I've probably spent a lot of time in. It was the most important thing for me. It was I needed to learn and prove my stripes and 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 be happy, obviously, on track. But first and foremost, being being a driver and, and being able to compete at the top level. So uh, I'll take that one for sure. Um, being, let's say, a let's say just social media in general, it's been a hundred percent one of the biggest struggles for me to take on this, um, I guess, a role that I didn't think uh, I didn't think I would take on or that it would be kind of presented to me. Um, and then what happened was very, very early on after my first race, I went in with this. You know, I had this big dream of going racing. It was a personal dream. It was about me, and it was about fulfilling that dream and then let's say that news went came out and I didn't realize that right place right time but it was the same year women were driving in Saudi so I was and I was racing so obviously I should have thought about it but that was a story and I didn't think twice about it at the time and after the race someone came up to me and said how does it feel to be making history and I literally I just stopped in my tracks I'm like what do you mean like I'm making history like and then basically that kind of big, let's say, pressure or um, uh, weight came on. And I was like, wow, um, you know, to be honest, I didn't think about it. I really just am thinking about me. I'm thinking how much I'm happy right now. And and that was it. And I went home and everyone, I mean, this is amazing. It's an amazing thing. But also when you're not used to it, it's it's quite scary. But everyone I know, family, friends, extended friends, people I didn't know, just so much support, so much like um, encouragement on social media, um, phone calls to my family, like, you know, just getting behind me. And it was so overwhelming. And I have not said this before, actually, in public, but I got my first panic attack because I just did not know how to deal with the attention. And I was like, I don't I don't deserve this. Like, I'm just doing me like this is for me. And I went from, you know, realizing I'm like, oh, this is what a panic attack is. Okay, maybe I need, <laughs> maybe I need a bit of space. Maybe uh, I'm not sleeping on that. And, and one plus one, and the end, the right support. I'm like, okay, I don't need to take this on right now. I don't need to um, live up to people's expectations. I, at this stage, need to continue focusing on what I want to do, which was being on track and, and racing. And and at the time, everyone, you know, because of the news, they're like. Let's get the story out there. You know, like we want to hear your story. We want to get videos of you, get interviews. And I refused almost every single interview I came my way because I couldn't do it because it was too much for me to share what I was going through at the time with everyone else because I was still processing it. And this was all new to me. And, and I couldn't be that person. I didn't feel like I could be that person for, for everyone. And then, you know, time passed and, and I guess it settled a little bit better. And I still didn't really feel like I was a racing driver. I was still just me racing. And I realized that actually what this, what, what, I, what let's say this, the public eye or the attention or the support 
I can turn it around. I can make this a platform. I can speak about whatever it is that I want to speak about. And, you know, hopefully people will listen. But it doesn't have to be a burden. It doesn't have to be something that I can't do. It just, it's whatever I wanted to do um, at the time. And at the time it was, I couldn't, we didn't feel like posting. I didn't feel like doing, you know, particular interviews. But when I realized that I can have a voice and it could be my own voice without the pressure of, um, living up to people's expectation, I, I felt a sense of, okay, wow, this is not just about me anymore. It's bigger than me. And mostly because of that support that I got, whether it's from girls saying, wow, you know, we didn't think this was possible. I'm like, man, I didn't think this was possible. And, and then from men as well, young boys, the same thing, you know, oh, how can we do this? We would like to get racing. And, and that sense of support that's pure, that's, that's, they get behind you because they're you're 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 creating opportunity for them and again that's actually one of the main reasons i started the team was because i felt like i needed to get give them an answer i needed to offer something in return because to come into the sport and to to i guess learn and do all of that i it, it, it's hard and it's hard for everyone i think it's not whether you're a girl whether you're a guy it's hard maybe a little bit harder for girls because it's there's just unfortunately less female around, but it's, it's, it goes without saying that it's an intimidating sport to come into. And I felt like because it was clear to me that there was, let's say, a message that was lacking, there was a tether that wasn't really connected on the ground, that hopefully with Viva Motorsport, we can do that and we can provide these opportunities and I can help elevate people, whether it's in, in as a driver, as a mechanic, as an engineer, you know, in PR, which is, I think, I realize now, I told you initially that this was really not something I was very um, forthcoming and excited about, but the power of, you know, your voice and your story. And I realize now that that's maybe even sometimes more important than my results and, and what I'm doing. And it's hard to say that as a driver because it is, you are results driven, but it is what keeps, you know, it keeps me going and gets the team or what's created the team really it's a huge weight on your shoulders i completely understand that and i'm so happy that you found a way to use it for good because i'm a firm believer in you have to see it to want to be it and we need more people who are different who are entering the sport and doing well um for a whole generation to be inspired and, and come and be part of this crazy but absolutely beautiful industry yeah i'm really glad that you found a way to to make it work and um i had the tiny tiny little part in that moment by the way because uh, and i'm it's probably one of the proudest things i did with the team um i was part of the pr team and the social media team uh, for renault when we ran um asil in the uh, Paul Ricard, in the F1 car, I was on the outskirts of it, helping it happen. And it felt like a huge wave. So you have all my sympathy for being within the eye of the storm because it would have, it would have been huge. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was so proud of that moment. I'm very thankful that I got to play. Um, you touched on your team and I understand that there's a special meaning behind the actual name of it. Would you mind telling everybody about that? Yeah, sure. So, um, uh, I was, as a child, I was very active, um, you know, always looking for like the next challenge, kind of like I am today. And, uh, amongst my friends, like one of the sayings or things you say here in Saudi and, and like in English, you'd say, uh, what a beast or, you know, like when someone does something like cool or I guess tough. 
Um, in Arabic, there's a saying you say "vib," which means wolf. So you say "yadib," and there isn't an equivalent for a female. Um, so my friends would say instead of saying, I mean, the male version of wolf, they created "viba," and they're like, "Oh yeah, viba," which is like, "Like good on you, you did that." Like this, and this was just probably like a random like challenge, probably climbed the tree or something random, and that stuck with me. And that was something that, let's say, uh, a positive reinforcement I received from my friends as a, as a, as a young girl. And then when I started racing, um, someone asked me. Oh, what do you want to call your car? And I was like, Oh, I don't know. I don't have a name. And then the first name that came to mind was Diba, which means she wolf. And I thought it was very fitting. And, and, uh, when I started the team, it was the same thing. What do you think call the team? And it encapsulates everything that I am and everything that I want to do. It's about, I guess you do things together. It's a team. So pack mentality, wolves do that. Um, but also they hunt, they're hungry, and that's me. Uh, so yeah, I think it's, it's fitting and, and I hope that we can keep kind of, I mean, in, in that fashion, um, doing it or making it as a team and no longer as an individual, um, and on, inside of like my story. I like that. It's, I mean, it's a very cool team name, but it's also like an ethos almost, isn't it? So yeah, love it. Absolutely love it. Thank you. Uh, what would you say is the biggest misconception about your job? Oh, <laughs> there's a few. <laughs> there's a few. I would say luxury is not a word I would describe at all. Um, I can tell you a lot of stories and, and maybe some of them were very cold days in the UK, getting in the car, not feeling my hands or feet and having and realizing my, I need to come back in because it's not safe to be this cold in the car standing by a heater in the cafeteria just to get warm, uh, having a completely wet race suit and forgetting a second race suit. So you're like weather in the UK is a thing. So now, you know, we've, we've managed that, um, having to change. I mean, the amount of bathrooms I've changed in also, you know, quite a few parks. Oh, car parks. Yeah. Yeah. I've done that. Um, it's also it's a lot of travel. There's a lot of time in the car. I mean, when I was racing in the UK, I was in the car for, I mean, most of the time. I never spoke to anyone unless I was driving. I mean, and on the road, not racing, of course, but it, and it's a lot of time on my own. Um, yes, I have my team and, and let's say whoever's around me, but I am very much secluded from the rest of the world. I'm, I love what I'm doing, but it means that there's, there's a lot of, focus and attention on what you need to do. And let's say after a race weekend, it's not a party. It's, it's let's reset. Let's regain the energy. Let's find the kind of our feet so that we can do it again. So yeah, I would, I would just say that there's a lot of long hours, long days. Um, you're, there's no time. You can spend as much time and as little time as you want at the track. And obviously, most of the time, you're just trying to take as much as you can, learn as much as you can, give as much information as you can on a good day and on a bad day. You have a crash and you have to come and discuss and have to face the crash. And maybe it's, if it's even if, especially if it's your fault and speak to the team, tell them what you think went wrong. And we discuss what the action plan is. And if it's a good race, it's okay. What did we do there? What worked there? And it's not just, okay, we, you know, pack our bags and let's go. So a lot of hours and a lot of time, that's probably, uh, that's something that people don't realize. It's just not we show up and we leave. And then 
the other thing is it's not um you're you're traveling a lot so um you're never really in one place at one time sometimes the, the hotels and accommodation are not great but it doesn't matter because you're going to the track and you're going to have the best day tomorrow but you're maybe just not sleeping in the most comfortable bed but that's a that's that's completely fine with me now i love it again yes my experience is that completely if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery think again juvederm volux xc is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime even better this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment no maintenance required improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with juvederm volux xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, you touched on one element, which is the constant having to accept criticism in a positive way, effectively, because no matter what you're doing, good or bad, your performance is going to be looked at by a team of people. And that's effectively the best way to keep improving session by session, race by race. Again, speaking from a personal point, it's taken me a really long time to dissociate my personal feelings from the work that I've done and its reception. In my case, it's obviously immediate because if I do something on social media that I've created under the team banner, nobody knows it's me, but it's still my work. I have immediate feedback on whether it's understood or whether it's appreciated or not appreciated. And my gosh, if I make a mistake, I know about it. And I'm fine with it now, but it took me a really long time. As a driver, you literally have people looking at what I call the squiggly lines. 
about you know all of your performance, all of the data, and telling you whether you did a good job or not. How comfortable are you with that? And that's genuinely something I admire from every driver I've ever worked with, because it doesn't bother them somehow. There's other things that bother me, but let's say those squiggly lines and performance-based, and you know that every, you're always constantly trying to chase that perfect lap. You, sometimes you know exactly when it's happening. Everything is in flow. You're feeling it. You're like, okay, this is it. This is it. This is it. I can, you know, everything is aligning. The car feels good. I feel good. The conditions are great. But almost every other time, you're already kind of, there's almost like a good balance of like self-criticism when you're in the car. So you're like, I could have braked a bit later in that corner. Oh, that doesn't feel right. And and you're you're also trying to feed that back to the engineers. You'll say, oh, I made a mistake at turn five. And then you'll say, actually, the car didn't do what I wanted at turn six. And sometimes, especially me, when I'm I'm still kind of, I still think that I'm I'm learning how to communicate better and, and explain what I need from the car better. Because most of the time, I'm just blaming myself. And I'm just saying, ah, you made a mistake. Ah, this is... You and some and it's not the case all the time. It's it's if I can articulate and explain what I'm feeling to my engineer, that's what's going to make me the best driver because he's going to help me get the most out of the car, and then I can then get the most out of myself. So um, I'm, you realize that that criticism and and that you know uh, let's say the the need to to go for for a fight for perfection in the lap and in the car. Is it's going to be a constant thing because you can't have a perfect lap every single lap. But it is about trying to manage your if the car is not drivable, let's say, or not drivable. Like a lot of drivers say that, but like it's not comfortable to drive and you're, it doesn't feel right for some reason. You have to just take that and say, this is the car that I have and how can I drive it the best way possible? And maybe it means that I'm not driving at 100% and I'm driving at 70%. But it is the most I can extract and and I can drive it comfortably and, and, and you know, this was, uh, my, I have had this impression and this, and this kind of realization, why? Because I've made mistakes in the past where the car didn't feel good or I felt too eager or I wanted to get more out of it and it's led to a crash, it led, it's led to a mechanical failure, it's led to something because I wasn't listening to what was underneath me, whether it was in the car or, or myself. So these, like the mistakes that have happened and, and the incidents that have been good, like super difficult to digest sometimes, they are what make, I guess, what I, what I look at now as how to drive with what you have rather than what you want or what you think you need to do. So it's, it's finding that balance. It's, it's connecting. You need to be in the right space and right headspace as well in order to feel that and, and to perform. So all of these things, like I'm speaking about it, you people wouldn't think I'm talking about a car, but it is that. It is being in the best possible place with, with yourself and then you with yourself in the car and then the car on its own and then the team as well. So it's it's a massive effort all around, but when it works, it's fabulous. It's again, another lesson that I learned from being very, very lucky to work with uh, really good drivers actually their measure of success wasn't winning or being on the podium it was extracting everything they could from the team and the car and if they did that and if that meant p6 they were happy to celebrate p6 as if it was a win because they knew they'd outperformed the car outperformed the team got everyone to work mm -hmm. together and then managed it and i wanted to ask you you know is that how you measure success for yourself at the moment and does it differ with your driver hat on and with your team owner hat on as well 
Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, measuring success as a driver is, um, it's, it is about, I mean, you said it perfectly there. Like you, I remember when I came, I had my first fourth place in the British F3 or GB3. That I felt like I won the race. Like after three years of being in single theaters and never, I think, getting past like seventh, I finished fourth and I finished like, how do you say, I earned the fourth. It wasn't, a, it wasn't something that, oh, someone dropped off or no, I, I, I fought for it. I, and, and that for me was, one of I think the the best moments for me in in like a single seated racing because it felt like everything I put in um, it worked out for me then and there in that moment. But again, with the same thing in, in endurance racing, you're racing against sixty cars, a hundred cars, and there's only I guess there's one winner per, per category, but also one winner overall. You know, if you've had such a bad race in the sense where you've had a crash or you're dealing with um, a mechanical failure for the whole race and then you end up finishing on the podium you're like with all this adversity kind of like our gt open actually this is this is exactly what happened we've we, ha we didn't finish a few races a few accidents so much happened that made me I'm like okay that's it no championship for us there's no hope for us to even be, you know, in the top three. And it wasn't about losing hope. It was just, okay, we didn't finish this many races. Now we need to change the goal and let's just get to the best result we can. And getting to that P2, it, we were tied on points. Like it was just so, and, and, and what the team had to go through and, and everything that went on behind the scenes that I was completely unaware of as a driver and makes that so much sweeter to to win. And I mean, losing is now twice as hard because of the team, but winning is more than twice. It's probably 10 times better as a team. And and to see that all our hard work has paid off, to see that, you know, this wasn't meant to be and it's happened because we did it and we did, did it well. Um, so, I, I mean, I have no doubt we could have, if we had a bit more luck, we, we could have finished first, but I'll take second and I'll take it with all the experience that we had as well. And I guess this is what um, makes you stronger in this sport. Well, this is going to lead beautifully to a question I really want to ask you, which is what's your proudest moment? Tough one. I've had like happy tears. You know, I've had moments where I woke up and I was like, wow, I'm lucky to be in this position. I'm lucky to, you know, lucky to be doing what I'm doing. And it's general, it's a general feeling and it's rather than, um, a, a particular moment, but I'd say one of the ones that I completely shocked me and took me by surprise was this year when we first raced for the team uh, at Paul Ricard and uh, my teammate Adam put it on pole. And for me, that was like, this is our first weekend. We put it on pole and this is, I mean, we couldn't have scripted this. And this is, this was a, was a proud moment because it was me coming in from being a driver to now being a team owner to wanting to make this dream a reality. And as soon as we hit the ground running, there was like that, you know, when you kind of want that, um, an answer or, or something to tell you, Hey, I'm in the right path. That was, that was what more than what we ever needed. And then probably like another proud moment that's maybe not team related, but myself related the 24 hours of debate, which was my first endurance race. Um, did not know what to expect, did not know how I would handle it. It was my first endurance race, first GT3 race, first uh, everything. I didn't know what to expect. I just thought, okay, we don't take risks. It's about, it's a, it's a long game. And every set, every like stint, every session, I just kept feeling more comfortable, more at peace with what I needed to do. 
and to feel that over a 24 hour period and to not have much sleep and to be getting the results and to be getting closer to, you know, the podium spots. That for me was, I've never felt that because usually the races I've been in are like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and then that's done. So it's like you blink your eyes and that's done. And this was just so much. And it was the first time to see what I kind of had or aspired, you know, 24 hours of Le Mans getting there. It was my first taste of endurance racing and have it, it went the way it did and it was super positive. We finished second in our class and top 10 finish as well. So all of that for me was, oh my God, this is paying off. I did three years in single seaters. I was in over my head and this is my first GT3 race. This is a first endurance race. And wow, like I was just happy and proud about that. And, and I think that's something that I'll, I'll remember forever because it's, it's, it culminated into to this particular race. And, um, it was just about, you know, when you put all the effort in, it's paying off. Like that's kind of success for me. Huge. What a feeling. You keep the balance. What would you say has been your lowest point so far? I would say. This year, there was a lot of lows, many lows because of the accidents, like made a mistake and had an accident of no one else's fault except my own. And there was another accident that I was a passenger. Um, and that led to us not actually pulling out of a race weekend because the car wouldn't have been ready in time. So to make that decision and, and to say, Hey, we're not going to go racing. Yes, it was not my fault, but we had just came out of one race that we had to rebuild the car. This was the second race and then it happened again. So I just felt like there's no luck on our side. In that point in time, there's no way you can fake how you're feeling. You're just, I had to give in to the anger, give in to the frustration. And the team needed to see that they needed to. And in the end of the day, we probably all felt the same way. And, and to come back the next day, and this was a, like, I don't know, it took much harder, much harder than I thought, but it would happen on day one. And then there was a race on the second day and to come back the next day, and to be there to watch the race with the team and to support my fellow, like the other drivers out there was so hard because I knew not only that we weren't going to be able to race, but that there's potential that we wouldn't be here next weekend. That was very, very difficult. Um, and I'd say like now in hindsight at the time, it just seemed like, like this was unfair. This is not okay. This is not something that the sport is, 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 uh, I don't like this about the sport kind of, you know, putting it on that. But, uh, again, I think this, it's taught me so much. One thing is, is being honest and being real about how you feel, but also, um, coming back from something like that and, and regrouping, reassessing. And, and we did, we came back on the, when we could race again, we came back with a bang and sure enough, we were all ready, but it's just, yeah, when, when things are not in your control sometimes and, and, or they're taken away from you, you, you kind of feel like, uh, like it's just not fair. Like, uh, you know, why do I like it this much kind of thing? <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. It gives you so much, but it takes so much from you. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it is, it's, it's a passion. It's a hard sport to deal with because of that. Stepping away from racing a little bit. How do you balance all of this with the rest of your life? Oh, wow. It was a good question. And, and I can probably not answer it completely because I'm still figuring it out. But uh, initially, there was no balance. Initially, it was overwhelm. It was, oh, I need to go to the track. I need to do testing. I need to work out. I need to sleep. Um, you know, it was just giving myself 
not overwhelming in myself because I was already so overwhelmed. So it meant couldn't socialize. I couldn't, um, I didn't have energy basically other than to do what I wanted to do. And thankfully my friends, my family understood that. But it also meant that I, when the season ended, um, at least my first season of racing, the lull afterwards, kind of that kind of low, I was just like, oh my God, like, what was it? What was, what just happened? You know, I, I felt like, I mean, my, everyone else was like, hey, you're, are you back? I'm like, yeah, I'm back. I think I'm back. I don't, like, you're, you're, it was like this kind of surreal experience. And, and I, and then my second year, I'm like, okay, I can't completely switch off. I need to, if it's connect with people, even if it's just a phone call, even if it's, you know, asking people how they're doing, um, I, I need to include people in my journey. And, and that also, also happened in social media. I did it as well in my personal life, but also tried to be a bit more, um, expressive and, and put more out there to connect because it was, it was very consuming. Finding the balance sometimes for me was just switching off from racing. So when I'm not in, on the track, I don't want to talk about racing and what I've done. I want to talk about my friends. I want to see how they're doing. I want to, uh, I mean, nature was a very big thing for me. I love, you know, going out, going for a hike, going camping, being in the water and, and here at home, thankfully I could do all of these things. So I take that opportunity to do these things and appreciate like this time that I have that is, that is my own. And, and, and most of the time it's not really, I want to, over socialize or see everyone it's 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 let's just have slow pace i don't want to travel that much i just want to stay put uh, and it's taken me some time to, to realize the importance of having the support is there but also realizing how to use that support and and you know maybe it is staying on a day after a race weekend if i can just to enjoy the city a little bit or uh maybe it's saying no to some opportunities that are very great, but I'm just super exhausted and I don't want to do that right now. If, you know, that's, if it's a chat, if it's something I can say no to. Um, but it's just really that it's making sure that yes, I'm having fun on track and, but it's also a job. It is also, there's so much emotion there. So sometimes just doing, removing myself from that. And, and it's been, I guess the biggest um, realization of balance and, and doing something that is still for me, but it might just be a lot less like rosy or it's not, I don't want to go out. I just want to sit home and let's just have a chat and make it, keep it nice and simple. Um, not to say I don't do other things, but I realize that these little things really do make me uh, like give me the energy and strength to kind of go out and do it again. I often talk about cups you know, you use your, you fill up your cups when you get to go home, when you get, when you understand what you need to get, where you get your energy from. My cup is filled from a, a nice conversation with a friend. Actually, this podcast fills my cup because it's a connection with people that I find really interesting. And, and then the cup gets empty when I'm racing or when I'm away for too long. Um, yeah. And actually, I wanted to ask you that. So much racing takes place in Europe, um, especially grassroots when you're coming through. Are you able to go home? Are you, you know, is this taking you away from your home as well? Or have you managed to achieve that balance a little bit better now? It hasn't unfortunately taken me away. Um, I do come back as much as I can, but I also realize that coming back and disconnecting to like having that kind of very different worlds is, is harder to kind of get back and, and, um, when it comes to racing and especially when the racing season is on, we're pretty full on with our weekends and our training and our sessions. 
Um, but when I do have some time off, I do try and come back home. But generally how it works is when I'm racing in Europe, I'll be based there most of the year with, with, with if we have good, you know, like let's say two, three week breaks, I'll come home. And, and then also, you know, around here in the winter time, that's when racing starts here. So there is a lot happening that's still racing. Um, whether I'm racing or not racing, there's a lot that I can get involved in. And I wanted to be able to elevate the sport here. So it doesn't mean that when I'm home, I'm completely switched off. It just means that I'm probably not as invested in the racer or the, you know, the driver side of me, but I'm doing something else, which is now really cool that I could do both because before it was when I wasn't racing, I was like, okay, what am I? I'm no longer that, you know, finance kind of person trying to climb the ladder. I am just not racing now. And now it's not like that. Now I have platform that I'm building and, and, you know, really hope that I can get the support that, that is needed to elevate this team because nothing can happen with just, it's not just a dream. You need to bring people along on the journey. And I really hope that um, we can do that with, with Viva Motorsport. And you've got some great people, um, again, speaking from personal experience, but John Booth, Laura, I, who actually is the reason why we're talking today, Mark Hines, you've got some amazing people involved. Yeah, you've, yeah nice one. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> what do you love the most about motorsport? I guess the feeling I'm in the car, that just being at one, being in flow. Yeah, it doesn't matter. The podiums are great. It's nice to get that, you know, to, to win, but that nothing beats just a good race just feeling good feeling happy feeling satisfied um yeah that's kind of why i keep doing it because it's because of that i mean for three two years i didn't get the results but i was still there any aspects that you dislike some aspects are sometimes because we're so in you know like tunnel vision drivers are so you know focused on what they need to do you don't feel like there's like there's not not enough genuine people who are hey this is what we're doing this is what it's about. We love what we're doing. Like, you know that they love what they're doing, but they're so in their head. They're so um, consumed by what's going on. So I think, like, I've met so many interesting people. You mentioned some of them and, and met some really great people. But I think sometimes it's nice to take life not as seriously uh, as we all think it is. And, and maybe that's one aspect. Um, and it's such a small world, too. So you end up seeing the same people. And I just come in with a smile. And I'm like, okay, are we getting a smile back or are we not today? You know, and and that's, I guess, just because of that nature of the sport. It's pretty like hardcore, your highs and lows that I mentioned. So that's a, that's a little thing. That's a selfish thing that I would prefer. Um, and then I guess the other side is what I mentioned that, you know, things can be taken from underneath you so quickly, so instantly. And, um, and that's just something that it doesn't get easier. It's just, you learn how to deal with it better, but it doesn't get easier. Every single time you're like, no, like, how am I going to pick myself up again? How am I going to do it again? And, and you find the strength and you do it again and, and it is what it is, but yeah, those are probably selfish things, but I can choose anything. Because <laughs> as soon as you said, you know, how do you pick yourself back up again? Your team came to my mind, you know, like you're surrounded by good people. You're surrounded by people who are going through the same thing as you and you pick each other up. That's what I, that's what I wish for everyone. It's that it's yeah. not a lone journey anymore. Like you have a team, you have those people around you. And um, yeah, I hope I hope they support you that way and that you support them. Yeah, yeah, that's where that's what we're building. So I, I, I can definitely say it's easier now. 
Um, but it doesn't mean that it's easier as a team, but it doesn't, that first reaction is, is still not easy. <laughs> yeah. It's still that. Oh, yeah. by the way, um, when you mentioned the, um, you know, the first thing that you dislike about, you know, people's attitude, let's say my words, not yours. Um, someone said something to me once, which I love. I think it was Anne Bradshaw actually, who, you know, was very kind and came on this podcast too. And she said, take the job seriously, but don't you dare take yourself seriously. And yeah. I love that so much. Completely so agree. Very well said. She's good. I would love to hear, especially with what you're doing with your team, what advice do you have for someone that wants to work in motorsport? Don't let, I say, uh, the unknown intimidate you. I think asking questions, being being as act an active listener and an active kind of, um, you know, question what why things happen, why they are, show your interest. And that's what kind of attracts people to you and what you want to do and maybe even tell, give you opportunities. So I think that's number one. Um, and number two is that it is, let's say, um, maybe for, from the outside, it's something that is, um, intimidating. It's, it's, it's a hardcore, all of these things. But if you are honest with yourself and if you come in with the right intention, and this is kind of how I really try and do everything then you will get the results that you want. You will get the reaction, but come in with the right, you know, don't come in with, I want to take his place because I'm better than him. Maybe you will take his place, but that's not the intention. It's, I want to be the best driver that I could possibly be. And if that's my seat, it's my seat. Like that's, so I think it's just come in with the right attitude. And um, yeah, I would just say that come in with the right attitude and, and willingness to learn and willingness to make mistakes and, and, you know, I, I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't trust and I didn't take on the, 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 and it wasn't negativity. It was just like hard, difficult times. And, and I can say, expect that, expect a lot of that. Is there a piece of advice that you've received that you still use to this day that's really resonated with you? Yeah, I think it was actually around the lines of, of don't have high expectations um, of yourself. This was initially. So when I first came in, it was, um, listen, you're still learning. You might be learning, um, let's say, in a, at a time where everyone else kind of knows what they're doing, but don't take it so seriously. Learn, make mistakes, and from there, we can then, you can then re reassess and see where you're at. But essentially, just go in and give it your, your best rather than um, have expectations, not meet them, get disappointed it is it's it's especially if you're new to it i think that's that was really good advice where they almost told me listen you're going to be last and accept that for now you know but it's only for now and i don't think i ever think that anymore i never think oh i'm going to be last but i i've humbled myself enough to know that things are not sometimes in my control sometimes i have bad days and it, it's what makes i think athletes what who they are they understand themselves they're completely aware of what they're doing when they're doing how they're feeling and how to get the best out of themselves and and this is i'm still working on it and um it's the best thing the sport has given me really it's massively powerful actually just to hear you say it i'm like yeah that's that's what I'm, mine's coming through age <laughs> but yeah. uh, but it's it's an amazing feeling to understand to understand yourself didn't to, to yeah. know yourself and yeah i think I think as a high performance athlete, as a former colleague of mine, Australian, good looking guy, uh, used to say, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, that's what it requires of you. And that's that you get a fast track 
exactly that level of understanding, which is um, incredibly valuable. I've got my last question, okay. which is, I love asking that one. What are you looking forward to? Wow. What I'm looking forward to right now, to be honest, is just a little bit of downtime. I have not had like some down, like a switch off, a nice day on the beach, just not thinking about anything, not thinking about like anything that I need to do. But but probably what I'm looking forward to um, outside of just a bit of rest. I mean, it's, oh my God, it's still racing related, but it's uh, it's basically like setting up the team, getting seeing the team ready to hit winter testing um, and to get back in the car. I think I'm already, I'm basically lining up everything I need to do so that to come time when we're, you know, pre-season testing, we're ready. So that moment is definitely going to be one that I'm really looking forward to. But right now I'm just, uh, I need to, yeah, just take a step back and enjoy the, the lull. I hope there will be a little bit of a lull. Well, Rima, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to me today, especially as it's probably taking you away from some rest time. So thank you very much. It's been absolutely brilliant to hear your stories. No, my pleasure. Thank you very much. Honestly, it felt really comfortable and happy to share things that I probably didn't say in the past. So um, I, I definitely really enjoyed it as well. And I hope people feel the same way. Oh, they'll let us know. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> That was the truly impressive Rima Jafali, and I hope you were as inspired by her as I am. I love her approach, her determination, her spirit. I was impressed before chatting to Rima, but I am a true fan of hers now and wish her every success. And a go in an F1 car if I can help it. I'd like to thank the producer of this show, Press Play Productions. The awesome Tabatha is the one who turns our brilliant chats into the very nicely edited podcast you listen to each week. And if you'd like to see fun behind the scenes content, I highly recommend the Instagram account, Press Play Productions, where you get to see the work that she does. It's so good. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe via your favorite podcast platform. Leave a review if you can. Tell your friends. Post about it on social media. I want all the support it means so much and it helps new people find the podcast which is all I want really as you know I read every message every mention if you send a question I will do my absolute best to answer or tell you to listen to the podcast if the answer is in there but you can get in touch anytime you'd like via my Instagram account which is pandea p-a-n-d-e-a And there's a link now in the show notes, which basically gives you a chance to donate to support the podcast if you'd like to. It's exclusively used to buy myself coffee and I appreciate it very, very much. It's all I need to get this podcast to carry on. Thanks very much for listening and speak to you next week. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.